Welcome to the Community Fellowship Podcast, your way to stay connected with biblically-themed messages, discussions, and interviews from Community Fellowship in East Bernard, Texas. Learn more about our church at the cfeb.church website, check us out on social media at CF East Bernard, or attend an in-person service at 635 Main Street in East Bernard. We are a local church that works to make the love of Christ for all humanity known to our community and the world. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this week's content. He is risen. Okay, we heard some hallelujahs and some he is risen indeed. Let's do his, he is risen indeed, okay? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Yes, he is. And we are not going to let a storm and some electronic issues cause us problems this morning. I'm going to speak up, and if I start lowering my volume, raise your hand and say, hey, put your, get me to speak up again, because I may, I have a tendency to drift down in volume at times. So, I've been looking forward to this day for quite a while. Uh, I want you to know, this is the first Sunday of the third year that Community Fellowship has been meeting. Praise God. And it, it is a record attendance. We have 151 people here today. We are thankful that you all chose to worship with Community Fellowship today, and we hope to see you again. I know some of you are, have come in from out of town, but once again, I, I hope that you all, those of you who haven't given us at least your email address, give us that so that we can put you on the email list for our monthly newsletter. Uh, we appreciate having that information. We've been avidly for the last five weeks, four Sundays, connecting the dots between the New Testament and the Old Testament, seeing how the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed and how the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. It's all one integrated story, God's love story of how he was redeeming mankind, how he was making a way back into that Garden of Eden-like relationship that he intended for us to begin with. Now, he, God was not surprised when Adam and Eve sinned. He already had a plan for it before he even breathed creation into existence. He had a plan for it. It didn't surprise him. Friday of this past week was what we in the Christian world call Good Friday. Almost seems backwards, right? It's like Good Friday. Uh, it, doesn't seem, it doesn't seem right to call a day good on which Jesus died. 
right? Uh, today ought to be good Sunday. He rose from the grave, right? Uh, but no, it was good Friday. So what was good about good Friday? On good Friday, God, through his blessed son, Jesus, fulfilled his plan of redemption. According to John's gospel, the last three words that Jesus breathed from the cross were, it is finished. What is finished? The redemption of mankind was finished. He breathed his last breath and died. The redemption plan that the Old Testament was all about was completed at that moment. Everything that God had had enabled his authors to put down, everything that he had inspired them miraculously to write had been fulfilled in that exact moment. We're going to do a quick rundown of where we've been. A lot of you missed a lot of those messages. And I'm just just a, a bullet point because it, it's fascinating when you look at this all at the same time. And we're just we're just touching the tip of the iceberg of what is there. You might remember we started the series with Jesus after the resurrection. Uh, he was walking with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. That was the first sighting of Jesus after he rose from the dead. He used that time. This was the most important thing to do when he came back. His first thing he did, he used that time to open the Old Testament to them and show them the truths of the Old Testament and how it was about him. It was about him. And then later that same day, he appears to the eleven back in Jerusalem. He does exactly the same thing again. He opens the Old Testament. He refers to it as the law of Moses, the prophets, and Psalms. And he enables them to see for the first time the reality of what God had written there. That it was about him. It was about him. That was the most important thing to him when he came back was to point his believers to the truths that were there in the Old Testament. Now, today, it's really popular for even so-called Christians and theologians and college professors to do what's called higher criticism of the Bible. Or you start with the premise that some of what's in the Bible may be true, but it's not all true and correct. If you do that, you're ignoring Jesus, and you're actually taking away the reason Jesus came and died. You're destroying the complete story that is the Bible. Jesus obviously thinks it's true. He sends them immediately back to Genesis. So when he says the law of Moses, or when John or Luke refers to him going in and opening Moses 
that's the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We talked about in Genesis, just right there in chapter 3, God is already revealing his plan to bring Jesus. In chapter 3, Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit. They go they go make themselves some sort of covering out of fig leaves because they're ashamed. Their sin has revealed their nakedness. And God says, no, you don't get to decide what covers your nakedness. You don't get to decide what covers your sin. That's my job. God goes out, kills animals, takes their skins, and covers Adam and Eve. There's the first sacrifice. Probably the very first deaths in creation. God himself killed animals, essentially sacrificing them in order to cover over the sin of Adam and Eve. That, folks, is already pointing forward to the day that he would give his only son, Jesus, to cover over a multitude of sin. Our sin. Our sin. God continued throughout the Old Testament to point his people forward to a future redeemer. We even found in the genealogy that is listed there in Genesis between, uh, between Adam and Noah. If you look at, the, look at the meanings of each one of those patriarchs' names and you keep them in the order that they were born, it makes a sentence. A, sen- a sentence that is... The gospel story in the Old Testament, in Genesis. Folks, you can't make this stuff up. This is the sentence. This is the sentence that that those names, if you string them together, the meanings of those names make. Man is appointed mortal sorrow. What's mortal? It's death. Man is appointed to die. But the blessed God shall come down, teaching that his death shall bring the despairing comfort and rest. That's what those names in the genie... This is... It's just amazing. Later, we read, God provided salvation for Noah and his family by way of the ark, ultimately granting them new life in a new world as we as believers are granted new life through Jesus. They exited the ark on dry land, on the exact calendar day that some five to six hundred years later, do I have those years right? No, 850 years later. 850 years later, God would institute the Passover on the day that they would be allowed to exit Egypt, leave bondage for a Again, a new life. A new life. Several hundred years after the great flood, God called Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac, who through him, God was going to make a great nation of Abraham. And yet, Abraham follows through. And at the last minute, what does God do? No, don't, Abraham. I see your faithfulness. 
I provide you with a substitutionary lamb. He sacrifices the lamb instead of Isaac. The substitutionary lamb. Pointing to Jesus. The substitutionary lamb. The Passover lamb. Jump forward another 500 years or so and we find the offspring of Abraham's grandson Jacob, the 12 sons, their families had been living in bondage in Egypt at that point for 400 years. 400 years of slavery. They were pleading to God to save them and He calls Moses out of the wilderness to come back and save His people. And at that time, He institutes the Passover. The Passover meal, the center point of which is a lamb whose blood is to be painted on the doorposts of the homes in which they dwell so that those people, those families will be kept whole and released into new life. Once again, God is pointing them to the future sacrifice of Jesus, the shedding of His blood, which we then are to paint on the doorposts of our heart so that we might enter into that new life free from the bondage of sin, just like the, the Hebrews left Egypt free from bondage in Egypt. 1,500 more years after that, we reach the time of Christ. What God had been preparing, what He had run, been running mankind through, was finally going to happen. God sent the real deal. No more symbolism. He sent Jesus. He sent His perfect Lamb, His perfect Son to die in your place. He sent Him at a specific time in a specific place on this planet and in a specific way, all of which aligned with hundreds of prophecies that were scattered throughout the Old Testament. Without a doubt, God is an awesome God. And His Word can be trusted. It is true front to back. It is reliable. He loves you and He loves me. He wants us to walk with Him. He wants us to walk with Him so badly that He sacrificed His own Son to wipe away the sin that separates you from Him. And that, people, is why Good Friday is Good Friday. That's what was accomplished on Good Friday. And why, yes, we may sorrow for the pain and agony that Jesus went through on our behalf, and that's appropriate, we can also celebrate that He did it for us. 
It's a, it's, it's, it's a great, great... I mean, it is the pivotal point in human history. The most important event that has or ever will happen. I'm going to reverse the course this morning. For the last four Sundays, we have begun... Believe it or not, we're just beginning. No. <laughs> no, we're well into my message. Don't worry too much about it. But we... We started in the New Testament and used something there to give us portage back to the Old Testament. We're going we're gonna to go to the Old Testament this morning and let it portal us back into the New Testament. We're going to go to Exodus 3, verses 13 and 14. And... There we are in the midst of a conversation between God and Moses. God is speaking from the burning bush. And Moses is expressing some reservations about what God is calling him to do. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what the Israelites, what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. I am has sent me to you. God's simple but very meaningful answer to the question of who he was. I exist. I am. I will be. That's all encapsulated in the Hebrew that we in English say I am too. He think he is saying I exist. I have always existed. I will always exist. I am the same as I was. I will always be the same. I do not change. I will not give you my name. Because you cannot control me. You see, in that day especially, there, there was considered to be power in a name. And to, to voice someone's name gave you a certain amount of power over that person. Just like if I call one of your names and you're not facing me, you hear a name, you're going to turn around. I actually exerted a little bit of power on you. Got you to turn around and face me. God says, no, you don't get to do that with me. I am that I am. Okay, enough about the burning bush experience, but you got the I am part. That I am is what's sending us now forward to the New Testament. We're going to go to, let's see, John chapter 8. Most of what the rest of what we're going to do is in John chapter 8. If you want to turn there, John chapter 8, we're going to start reading in verse 42. But before that, let me explain the situation that's going on here. Almost the entirety of chapter 8 is a very heated exchange, probably the most heated exchange between Jesus and anybody recorded in Scripture. A, a very nasty group of Pharisees has decided to make it their mission to question Jesus in such a way as to find 
something to find him guilty of. Now, Jesus has said already his time has come, so he doesn't hold back. He does not hold back. He doesn't hide anything at this point. And he gets a little bit irate with them. So we're going to start in verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. In the very next verse, the Pharisees call him a demon-possessed Samaritan. Now, we don't understand, but Samaritan was a slur. We have words we use today. It's kind of like that, calling people names. A demon-possessed Samaritan. That's what they called Jesus at that point. We're going to skip down, and we're going to go down to the end. How, Je- how does Jesus end this exchange? This is, this is where our connection is. Jesus ends the connection, like the, the, the exchange like this. Very truly, I tell you, this is verse 58, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. Did you hear that? Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. To those Pharisees, there was no doubt what Jesus was saying when he called himself, I am. And he not only that, he said, hey, I, I was here before Abraham. I was here before the one who you consider the founder of Judaism. I was here before your four, 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 four father. And I am. They would have clearly connected that statement to the I am that spoke to Moses from the burning bush. And that was all they needed or wanted to convict him of blasphemy. I am the great I am. The one who called Moses from the burning bush. This is what Jesus was essentially saying in that moment. I'm the one who called... Moses, you're you're one of your great prophets, one of your greatest prophets. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the creator and sustainer of the universe. That's me. I am that I am. Three other times in that same chapter, he has stated that in other ways. 
We're, that, that's in the Gospel of John. So we have four Gospels. Uh, we have four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels. They all basically give a report of the life and ministry of Jesus in chronological order, sort of a biography. John doesn't do that. See, the other three have already been written. John's read them. He says, why should I do the same thing? I want to answer the question, who is Jesus? So that's, that's why he wrote his gospel, to answer the question, who is Jesus? And that gospel is, is organized around seven statements of Jesus that begin with, I am. See, Jesus, throughout his ministry, is declaring himself the I am. Let's just quickly run through those I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Today we celebrate Jesus' resurrection from death, his triumph over death, as proof that he truly was the great I am. And each of these seven statements is 100% true and accurate. But think about that simple two-word phrase, I am, I am. I made that probably about 35 years ago, and I thought, hey, I get to use that for the first time this morning. <laughs> I didn't know why I made it back then, but I thought, you know, here it is, I am. He is the same God who from the beginning of time set his own son up to be the substitutionary offering, the substitutionary sacrificial line. He, 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 he can be relied on because he is always the same. He is trustworthy. He is not changed by our situation. So regardless of what situation we find ourselves in, he is there, rock solid. He is our anchor. We can depend on him. Do you need, do you need to be fed? I am the bread of life. Do you need to see? I am the light of the world. Do you need to enter in? I am the gate. Do you need to be led, cared for? I am the good shepherd. Do you need new life? I am the resurrection and the life. Do you need to know the way? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you need to know what is true? I am the truth. Do you need to feel connected? I am divine. Is Jesus 
your I am? Is Jesus your I am? Have you loved Him? He loves you. Have you loved Him back? Do you love Him? Will you love Him? He loved you enough to die a cruel, cruel death on the cross for you. He wants you. He wants to walk and talk with you like He did with Adam and Eve in the garden pre-sin. That's why He died. To restore that kind of a relationship for us with Father God. The Bible is God's love story for you. It is a story about the great length He will go to to redeem you, to save you from your sin, from your own selfish, sinful ways. A story about the love of a father for all of his own. A story about a father who would give his one and only son for you. If you have questions about this week's message or would like to start a conversation with someone about what it means to walk with Christ, please email pastor at cfeb.church. You can find earlier episodes of our podcast on our website at cfeb.church where you can also give online to help support community fellowship in our mission to reflect and share Christ's love. We can also be found on many major distribution platforms like Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe to stay connected. Thank you again for listening. Now go out and love one another like Jesus did.